0: Hey beautiful, it's Natalie here, and I want to ask you, are you ready to earn the income you truly deserve? But perhaps you've got a little bit offline with the business that you're in, why you started it, and also what you're truly passionate about. Maybe all of those things are completely mixed up and you're not quite in the right place. I've got a brilliant episode for you today to share a great story from my guest on how you can overcome all that and end up getting paid to do all the things you love doing most. You're listening to the Untapped Podcast, a podcast where you can learn how to tap into your potential and get paid to be you so that you are ultimately doing the work that you love and living life on purpose. It sounds too good to be true. I can tell you it's not. I'm your host, Natalie Sisson, a Kiwi entrepreneur, author, speaker, podcaster, obviously, triathlete, and white german shepherd lover and i have gone from the corporate world to my own business where for the last 11 years i have essentially been learning and educating people how to build an online business they love by monetizing them and what they do best so sit back relax and enjoy these golden nuggets with myself or my amazing and inspiring guests and make sure that you subscribe on itunes spotify wherever you happen to listen into this Just search for Untapped with Natalie Sisson. All right, let's dive in. So I'm super excited to bring my guest, Debbie Archangelis, to the show this week because she is going to share her insight and journey as a businesswoman, surviving two failed businesses to find her passion in blogging, and how she's turned this into an income stream. Right now, she gets to travel the world, well, when we're able to travel, podcast, blog, and earn money from doing all those awesome things. And if that sounds like it's too good to be true, it's totally not. And so what I love about Debbie is she shares exactly how you can do that in this episode. So Debbie actually immigrated to the United States at age eight from the Philippines, and she's overcome so many adversities in her personal and professional life. So she's got a pretty unique perspective on pursuing your passions. She's got a really cool podcast called The Offbeat Life, and she is basically setting out to inspire people looking for more in their life by sharing interviews with entrepreneurs, digital nomads, location-independent creatives, and business owners. It kind of feels like me about three, four years ago, so I really loved chatting to this super creative lady about how she has built the business she loves and multiple income streams from her passions. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to Untapped, Debbie Archangelis. Hey, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me here. You're so welcome. I sort of just like adding a little bit of Archangelis to the end of your name there. But I would just love to get down to business today and talk about all the good things that I think a lot of people are experiencing right now that you can speak to. So we were having a little chat before I hit record, and I think it's super important right now with everything that's going on, to actually find different ways to diversify your income streams and how you make money. This is a topic that I'm passionate about. I'm always talking about how do you tap into your potential, which is part of this podcast, and get paid to be you. But this is also something that you're really passionate about. So I think we can have a really great jam session. First off, do you just want to say a little bit about how you get paid to be you? This is kind of like my intro question these days. So people get a clear idea, and then we can go more into your story and what you actually do and who you serve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So again, like Natalie said, my name is Debbie Arcangelis and I get paid to be a podcaster and content creator, which means I get paid to do photography, write things on my website for other people's website, and also as a podcaster. It sounds like a pretty beautiful life. You've
0: taken your creative pursuits and monetized them, which I know is no easy feat. So thanks for making it so succinct. And I just love to know which of those things you started out with because... Even just the art of content creation for those people listening who I think struggle with it. It's a lot of work, right? Isn't it? It's a lot of consistently coming up with plans, strategizing on the content, understanding what your audience needs, then actually creating the content, delivering it, more fresh ideas and obviously having all that content have a purpose that it's either getting you more subscribers, more customers, more income. So you just want to sort of share how you started out because I know the path has probably been just an interesting one.
1: Well, my path has definitely been a roller coaster and it's had a a lot of twists and turns. So, I actually started as a photographer and I went to school for it and I did photojournalism. And it took me all around the world to a lot of developing nations. And throughout my 20s, I did a lot of different jobs. I was a photo intern for magazines, for photographers even worked as gallery managers, uh, as a gallery manager in New York City, and my photography has allowed me to really see the world that many people would not see, so definitely not the tourist areas, mm-hmm. and then after that, I became an art teacher to students, and then I became a therapist for, oh, for wow. young kids, yeah, and then now I'm here <laughs> as a <laughs> content creator. That's so awesome. So over what span was
0: your photography, gallery, teacher, therapist career? What, you know, all these things that you pulled out of the bag and made happen?
1: So honestly, throughout most of my life, even when I had full-time jobs, I had odd jobs as well. And I wasn't really a nine-to-five type person. So when I was a photojournalist and photographer, I was also a gallery manager. And when I was doing that, I also started working with magazines and I was a photo editor. And so it all entwined within each other. And then once I left that business, then I became an art teacher. (laughs) So (laughs) it kind of all entwined together. I just pretty much pursued anything that really interested me and it really allowed me to find and figure out what I wanted to do that eventually led me here. I Started and failed three businesses before I have this one. So it's been a lot.
0: <laughs> started and failed three businesses. That's awesome. Well, first off, I want to touch on the fact that you've always pursued things that you love rather than things that have been put in your way or have made you money, which is great. And it seems like you've been really successful in figuring out the combination of how do you work those either as businesses or freelance gigs or jobs. And it also sounds like you just love the hustle and the art of just creating and testing and experimenting. So good on you for trying and failing at three businesses. Do you want to share a little bit more about that? Because I, not so much like, well, not the reason why they failed, but the lesson that you learned from it. Because I feel a failure is never a failure if you learn from it and adapt, right? So what were they and what were the lessons learned?
1: So uh, the businesses that I had, there was one that I started purely because I thought it would be great because of money-wise. And obviously Mm -hmm. that didn't work. Mm -hmm. And then the two were from passion. So what I really learned was you need passion and you need to create income from that passion. So when it's all about money and that's it, you're not going to last because it's going to die down. Your interest is not there, so it's not going to happen. But the two other business that I had, or actually one that I had that I was really passionate about, I was just focused on creating. It was all my passion. But I didn't really know how to make money from it. And that's why it failed. So I tell people this all the time it's great to have passion, but you also need to make money from it. And it's great to go into something that you can make a lot of money, but you also need to have passion with that too. So combining the two has really been essential to me and my growth in my business right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of coming back to the sweet spot that I harp on about what you love doing, uh, what you're good at and what people pay you for, because I've seen plenty of people, I've interviewed plenty of people on this podcast who were making really, really good money in a career or a business, but they just, as you said, didn't love it, didn't actually enjoy it. And it just takes all the meaning out of it, right? So I think the flip side of that is all the beautiful creators out there who give so much away for free, just pour themselves into their art, into their photography, into their writing, and don't have the business now, or haven't yet learned the business house because I think everything is learnable and everything is outable, thanks to Marie Folio, mm-hmm. that you can actually then turn that and go, okay, great. So I do this. This is the value I provide. Here's how people can pay me. Interestingly, just yesterday, I got invited to a group, a Facebook group, which is 230,000 people strong within a very short time. And it's specific for New Zealand and it's New Zealand-owned businesses. And basically, people are joining the group to support local because the economy right now is suffering a lot. We've been in lockdown. And I just love it because everybody in there are crafters and artists, and, and they're, they're just so thrilled to have a place where they can actively step up and say, hi, everybody, I love drawing these, or I paint these, or I make these videos, or we create these gift boxes." And it's all local, so you know you're supporting locally owned family businesses. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to give them a platform to sell because normally they're, you know, lost in the mass media or the big budgets, the big organizations, and yet what they have is absolutely beautiful. So Just wanted to share that and I'll link to it in the podcast notes, but I just thought it was such a great idea to give a platform to people who just do beautiful things and make amazing things and create value, but don't always know how to market themselves. They don't have a business plan, they don't have a strategy. So thinking about where you're at today, I know you have a podcast, you've monetized that, you monetize the content that you do for people in your blogs what like in any given day what does Debbie's day look like because I think there's this mystery around especially for content creators we have so many things that we can be focusing on but a few of those really really do move the needle in terms of allowing us to be in flow but also get paid well to do what we do so can you walk me through a I don't know if you have a typical day but the day that you've got most comfortable with that you know lets you stay in flow but also really make progress
1: Well, like you said, most of us entrepreneurs don't really have a typical day because anything can pop up. But for me, I really made my business into something that I created systems for so that I would be able to do it as well as people who are working for me who are able to do it. So I've been really lucky the last year and a half that I've been able to hire assistants and people to do a lot of the work that really was just taking away from what I really needed to do in order to grow as an entrepreneur. So now my days have become really different to when I first started this business before it would be a lot of things that, you know, emailing back and forth, certain people, a lot of just tasks that it took me such a long time, even editing the podcast. It would take me like 10 hours to do 45 minutes of show. (laughs) It was ridiculous. So that took up a lot of time. So once I was able to finally monetize my show and then have other people do that and do it way better than me, now most of my days are really about strategizing and figuring out ways to either tweak things that needs to be changed in my business or maybe find different ways to make it better. And that's really most of the time what I'm doing and then communicating with the businesses and brands that I'm working with the people that are working for me, uh, what they need to do day to day. I mean, honestly, I don't check that because we have something organized online and I don't have to constantly check on people. I hate doing that. And I hate when people do that to me. So, so it's just making sure that things are running well and also creating different ideas in order to grow is really what my day to day business is. And that's, yeah. And creating systems has been really, really helpful for me to be able to do that. Oh yeah. Hallelujah. Yes.
0: Um, what did you start? I know you just mentioned some of the things there, like editing the podcast 10 hours a day, just a no brainer to outsource, right? I got an editor in from the very get go of my podcast because I just knew that would not be my happy place listening to myself going, uh, what? And editing that for hours. So I'm really glad you did that. But how did you start by choosing what you outsourced and what you systemized? Because I think this is also something that people who are listening are like, yeah, where do you start? I mean, I know exactly what I'd say to this, but I'm always curious. Like, did you look at the things that were just, did you first of all like track your time and then go, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize this is taking me so long and it doesn't light me up. That's one. Or did you actually start to think about your business as a sort of an organization and go, I need somebody here, here, and here to plug the gaps of things that I either don't enjoy doing or can do but don't want to be doing. What avenue did you take? Or did you take another one completely?
1: (laughs) So, for me, it was definitely, first of all, what was taking me a lot of time to do Mm -hmm. and creating systems so that it didn't take too long to do that. So, a lot of what I did in the beginning was really figuring out, like I said. So, when I say systems, it's just figuring out how to do it more efficiently. Mm -hmm. And once I figured that out, then I was able to share that system with the assistants that I had. So that it not only I because also, I don't want them to take, you know, 10 hours to do a task either, then that would just be wasting in time. One of the things that I always tell people when they are ready to hire is to make sure that you've done those tasks already, even if, you know, it, even if it's just for a short period of time, because for me, it's really helped because I know exactly what they need to do. And when I do hire people out, when I train them to do it, it's going to be super easy. And if they know how to do it better, that's great. But for the most part, a lot of people will need your advice on how to do those things. So, And also, if they're not doing it the right way, you know exactly what's happening with your business. So I feel like that's really crucial in the beginning unless you have an assistant who are hiring other people and they're doing that for you. So that's one crucial thing that I did was really learning my business and then creating a system to even hire Mm -hmm. uh, people to do that, figuring out what took a lot of time to do, figuring out things that really wasn't like, it really didn't need me to be there, you know, like scheduling things out on my social media would, you know, I don't need to do that. Anybody could do that. You know, I could hire a 12 year old to do that. You know what I mean? So <laughs> you, <laughs> you you need to think of yourself like what your value is. Hiring somebody out for, you know, $15, $20 an hour. Are you at that level? Are you only amounted to $15, $20 an hour? Or because you're a CEO of your company, are you worth $500 to $1,000 an hour? So you have to think about that. Like if those jobs are, and under or even $50 and under you should not be doing that anymore at a certain point So that's really what I looked at every single task, And that's how I was able to grow because now i'm not bombarded by the little things anymore
0: It's so funny hearing you say that because even after like 10 years experience social media I think because I started out with that as the platform that grew my business and blog into everything It's something that i've held on to for so long and it, just even listening to you, it's just a good reminder. Like, I recently hired an online business manager and virtual assistant, and it's a huge, awesome step up because she's not just a virtual assistant. She actually manages and organizes. And I have really good systems and I have things to organize, calendar invites, et cetera. But social media is the one that I've always like love, have a love hate relationship with now because I've done it for so long and I enjoy it and I love the live aspect and the turning up and being authentic and engaging. But you're right, it doesn't mean I need to be creating all the content and or scheduling everything which I have moved away from but it's definitely been one of those lessons that I've kept coming back to and keep reminding myself of and I think it's just I just wanted to bring it up because if anybody's listening and they're like yeah I do keep coming back to doing this thing and I just don't seem to outsource it successfully I think it's a really good time to look at that and go okay no more this is out and I'm not doing it because I just love how you keep coming back to focusing on You get to sit in strategy all day, not just strategy, but envisioning what's possible, creating the next thing, seeing how that aligns with your why. And that's just such an awesome place to be as a CEO. And it's how we all should be in basically every single day coming from that place of what's working and how can we make it better and how can we grow. And you've got to give yourself that space to get to there. So that's awesome advice. Just really love how clear you are in explaining that. What else has helped you Truly. So obviously the outsourcing, the critical outsourcing, looking at where your time has been and then where do you decide to put your strategy in? Is it because it's super linked to a why or a mission that you have, or have you just over the years gotten better at knowing the things that move the needle for you?
1: It's really also figuring out what my audience needs, right? So a lot of the things that I do are, you know, for my social media, for my website, for my podcast, it's all about helping people get to the next level with remote work with podcasting all of those things so a lot of times i am looking at what they're telling me you know what do they need what are their questions and every time i strategize i look at those questions and i try to do something to answer them so that's why we ended up starting a new website that's why we ended up creating new digital products because of these questions that people are asking so the more i was able to take myself away from the tiny task the more I was able to really focus on the needs and wants of the people who were following me, who are my audience. And that's really what has been super important to me. And honestly, to tell you, Natalie, sometimes I feel really bad because there's days where I don't work sometimes and then things are still getting done. I'm like, what's wrong with me? I feel so guilty. <laughs> But then you realize because you create these strategies for yourself, you are able to like take a day off or two. I think I've even take like a week or two off and things are still getting done because of the systems that that was created in place for my business. And then during those times, you know, you have a clearer head to see where you really need to focus on. So a lot of that that I was telling you about is really looking at what my audience needs and wants and where I should be focused on. Yeah, I really love that. How many hours do you typically work a week right now? Oh, my goodness. So I try to do at least five hours a day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So maybe, you know, 20, 20 hours a week, maybe more. Because honestly, to tell you the truth, like I try not to work as much. But then if I get bored, I work. If I'm bored, I work because I just like it too much, especially now with COVID, like we have nothing to do. So I'm probably working, I don't know, 30 to 40 hours now, in some weeks, but then some weeks, it's like 10 hours a week. So it depends. And you know, how I feel if things need to be changed, and there's new ideas. It's more if, were pretty easy for that week or two, then it's less. So yeah, it varies. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I love it. And you should never feel guilty. Like I think the
0: gold standard or the, the thing to work towards is what works for you. And that sort of 20 hours a week or five hours a day, it seems really, really, I don't know, it feels really doable and on point for a lot of people that I know who love what they do, but also having that cutoff time for yourself. What I've been trialing for the last few weeks is that at 2 p.m., I stop. And then I have a break and I do more exercise and I use that time for either reading or going out in nature. And then I come back and do a writing session so that the focused, intentional work, the client work, the coaching and the strategy, et cetera, happens in the morning through to the early afternoon. And then it's kind of like stop time. And I'm really curious to see how that goes for me because otherwise, like you, you could just work all the time because you love it but it it really doesn't serve you and it takes away from your energy and your creativity. And before you know it, you're kind of like lethargic and burnt out. So I love that. I think the kind of gold standard should be anything less than five hours a day, especially once you say, as you've got the right team, doesn't have to be big. They just have to be working on the right things and the right strategy and systems. So you mentioned something there about being bored because you're in like lockdown and COVID. But what, this is something that I find really interesting is that when I get people to a point of really great freedom in their business, They often do go, oh, I've got all this time now and I don't actually know what to do with it because they haven't been given that time freedom before. They haven't thought deeply about the things, the other things that they enjoy doing, whether it's playing piano or riding or hiking or whatever hobby it may be, learning, etc. What do, how do you work out what you love doing in your non-business time that still keeps you fueled?
1: It's really, really hard because even when I'm not working, I'm thinking about work. So it's very, very hard. And my fiance has to stop me. from. (laughs) But what I've been actually doing now, because we're in lockdown, I have been painting. I started painting again. So I did. I was, you know, I used to paint a lot when I was in college. So now I started doing that and uh, been reading more. Uh, just connecting with really people I love. And I think that's what what I took for granted. And when, you know, we weren't in this lockdown, because I used to travel a lot more. So now just that cooking more, I think a lot of people have been doing that too. And yeah, that's really what I like. I'm very, it's funny, I'm very much a homebody when I'm at home. I didn't used to be like that as much but now because of work it's changed me where I'm like thank goodness I'm at home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like I don't want to s- leave.
0: <laughs> I so hear you. I find it fascinating that I feel like with the world in general slowing down even though I was telling you I feel like I'm more on purpose and more called to serve than ever so I felt very like productive. But I've also just loved as you said the cooking from home. Like we were ter- I think we were doing takeouts or eating out five nights a week and we just had a discussion yesterday and we're like Mm-mm, it's going to be like once a week from now on and I really want us to hold true to that because I've loved the art of finding the right recipe, throwing the ingredients together, making it taste great and then kind of getting into this rhythm and a bit of a system for it's Italian night, it's Asian night, it's Greek night, it's impromptu night, it's dinner date night and I think there's a lot of things that people are realizing that by staying home and staying local and having more space and time just how they're bringing back their hobbies and the things that they kind of lost sight of because they filled it with work, commuting, meetings, all these other things. So I think it's collectively, I know there are a lot of people who are in a hard place, but for those other people, I think it's been a great time to rest and sit back and reflect on what's really important to them. Those are all the things that we love doing, right? Connecting with people, cooking, eating, the pleasurable hobbies, the creative side, the nature, the walks. Sorry about that, Natalie. Oh, good. I think it's really great that people are seeing how they can live their life and that a little bit of that slow life is just so rewarding, so re-energizing. And basically, I believe we all need more of it. I think we got into too much of a go, 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 always in demand, always distracted, always doing other things that people needed from us versus what we want to do. So I know just some reflections. And it's going to be so fascinating to listen back to these podcasts, these talks, interviews blogs where people are talking through how they feel right now and how much of that we continue to bring into our lives post this pandemic which will be there will be a post at some point (laughs) a couple of things for you so looking at your revenue streams you want to share how many you have and also which of those are the most profitable so that'll be my first two questions and then the third thing is even though those might be the most profitable are they the ones that you put the most emphasis on which I'm sure it sounds like you're systemized strategic, so you do But I just wanted to bring that up because I know with some people, even if it's not the most profitable thing, but they love doing it most, they put more emphasis on it.
1: Yeah. So right now, 70% of my income is really coming from the brand sponsorships that I have been doing. And then the rest are through my digital products, a lot of things that I do, a virtual summits, things like that, speaking engagement. So those are the rest of them. Cool. Cool. Honestly, when I started this, I didn't really know that you can actually create income from content creation, specifically from podcasting. And yeah, it's really one of the things that podcasters want to do. That's like the main thing that they want to do is get sponsorships. And for me, that was the first thing that actually how I made income from this. And I knew that this was going to be more sustainable because I learned how to pitch well, negotiate well. And I think Once you know that and you know how to do all of those things, it becomes a lot easier for you to really land these brand sponsorships and deals. So even though that is most of the income that I am creating, I am really strategizing with my team to be able to move on to this year and to the next and into the future to do more digital products and more digital things because, you know, I just want this to be more sustainable. And a lot of that too, is just really making sure that we're also giving all of these different products for the people that really need it. And we get a lot of questions every single day from our audience on how to do this. So we want to just make sure that we're giving our audience as well what they want and not just brand sponsorships and getting affiliates as well. So yeah. yeah.
0: I think it's a nice fine mix, isn't it? Because I used to have sponsors on my podcast and it was super lucrative, but there was a point at which, and I totally agree, and we can talk about some of the tactics you use. And I think you also need to make a decision on whether it aligns with your values, whether you want to use those sponsor spots for getting paid, which is great, and aligning with awesome tools and companies and brands, or whether you want to share and promote your own or whether you want to do both. So I just think it always comes back to What is your strategy? What aligns well with you? What is going to move your business forward and also help the people that you want to serve most? So from the sponsorship point, and this is, I love it that you're doing it because a lot of people who start out with a podcast, they're like, will somebody sponsor me even if I only have a small audience? And I was like, well, that's what worked for me. So I think, do you feel it actually comes down to a lot about the relationships and as you said, the positioning of what you're going to give them in return for their sponsorship dollars?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just did the talk last week with a few podcasters about this, and a lot of them were new. And it was very interesting because most podcasters who are newbies, that's the main thing, right? How do I make money from this? I don't have a lot of downloads yet. And when when I get asked the downloads, I feel really afraid to share it. And I tell them all the time, don't be afraid. Don't lie to them because they're going to figure that out. But also let them understand that really why you would be the perfect person to do this and why your show really aligns with their brand. And I think that's the most important thing, right? Even though you only have a small audience, but if this is the audience that they're trying to reach, then it's worth a lot of money because it's going to be able to give them something back. You know, your return of investment is going to be really great. So It was very interesting because one of the girls there, she was really listening and within less than a week, she scored her first sponsor with all of the tips that I gave her. So that just shows you that you don't really need a lot of downloads or a ton of audience to make money. You just need to really learn who your audience is, what you're giving and the perfect brand for you to collaborate with. And it takes research more than anything to be able to do that. Yeah, I love it. Do you mind sharing a couple of those tips here? So people who are
0: listening in, maybe they have a podcast, maybe they have a blog and they're writing really consistent content. Maybe they have a video channel because I feel like it applies to all of those podcasts for sure. It's it's become one of the key models, but I do think that you can get sponsorships for all sorts of things. Your summits. I know people who are monetizing the summits now with sponsorships rather than paying for the package after. I got a sponsorship early on for an ebook that I put out because I was talking about tools that I loved and then I hit up some of those tools and said would you want to be a featured tool in this book and they were like sure I think I got about two thousand dollars for putting this book together from those sponsors way back when when that was a lot of money for me Um, I think it just covered the cost of design which I spent too much on that way back then but yeah just I think it's about being creative and innovative in working with people to you know as you say monetize you and your products and offerings but also be a value to your audience who might actually want what those sponsors have, hopefully. So do you want to share just like a couple of tips before we wrap up on the people who are listening, some of Debbie's top tips on landing a <laughs> perfect sponsor?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, really it all comes down to learning your whys and learning who your audience is. If you don't know your audience, you're not going to land that sponsorship deal very easily because that's one of the first things that you can really take with you to negotiate with those brands, Right. Even if you don't have a lot of downloads, if your numbers are not that great, what the main thing you have are the people that are going to be listening, reading, and looking at all of your content. So once you get to know that, then you know exactly the type of brands that you need to pitch to. And another thing is a lot of people are afraid to start reaching out. I tell people all the time, start pitching, even when you first start, because this is a way for you to really practice and hone in your skills. So think about this as like an interview, right? When I did interviews back then, when I still had jobs, I would just apply to everything. And even if I wasn't even interested in the jobs, I would just go in just to practice my interview skills. (laughs) So think about... (laughs) So think about this too. Like if you pitch, obviously don't pitch any brands that you absolutely hate and it's not, you know, I would say, look, research the brands that you think would align and make a list, get all of the emails that you need and just start pitching. So that means you're practicing your email pitch. You can practice your call pitching, your negotiation skills. So the more you do it, the better you're going to be. And there's really no secret to this, guys. It's just doing it over and over again and taking all the no's until you finally get that yes. And that's really how it goes. I feel like that's business, right? It's In many ways, it's testing and testing and testing until you start
0: getting yeses and people going hell yes even. (laughs) And I think the biggest thing is... As you just said, one, ask your audience, so put out a survey, even the simple question of what's your biggest challenge right now when it comes to X and X being the thing that you can help them with. And then second, also think about what's in it for them, for the sponsors that you're reaching out to. Because I think a lot of people, when they're pitching for anything, an interview, a media article, landing a sponsor, they're often like, hey, I've got this thing and it's awesome and it's over here and we do all this stuff and it's not about, and this would benefit you because they're your ideal customers, they are, you know, they could be raving fans, they really need what you have, they're at this stage of their business, or they have this challenge or issue. So always think about what's in it for them. I think we often come with the, we have to build up the big story about us, but it's Mm -hmm. actually more important about how you align together. So I really like, I really like that advice. And do you just want to share like one brand that you've loved working with and that maybe you've gotten more recently? Yeah, just so people can sort of understand a little bit more about your model that you built.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've worked with brands like Johnson & Johnson, Olympus, Hotel Tonight. I work right now, I have a really great company that I'm working with called Integra Global, where they do international insurance, travel insurance. So most of the or all of the brands that I usually work with has to align somewhat with my audience. So that's always... Super important to me because obviously it has to be, like you said, it has to be a win win for everybody.
0: Yeah. And over at the Offbeat Life, like you're really, really clear on your audience, what they're doing, which stage of their journey they're at. And I know with the Suitcase Entrepreneur, it was the same. I could reach out to like Global Nomads Insurance and I could reach out to any of the travel brands or business brands that most aligned with Digital Nomads. And the same now, if I did have sponsorship on this podcast, I'd know exactly where my audience are at and what would really serve them. So it's just, I mean, it's not rocket science, is it? as you said. And it's also just about having the confidence to make the ask because no means possibly in my mind, like unless it's a really, really firm, like this is just not it. But it always means like there's an opportunity to go back to them later and say, hey, I've grown, I'm doing these things now, let's revisit. And I think people need to stop taking that so personally and realize that they're not rejecting you, they're just rejecting the opportunity you put in front for now because it wasn't quite right. So make it better, make it right and go back is awesome. Yeah, very cool. And then you can earn 70% of your income like Debbie does from brand sponsorships, even though you're going to diversify a little bit more, just have a bit more independence from that. But it's a great way to start as well and get that sort of immediate cash flow. And it does take time to build those relationships. But I know when I had my podcast sponsorship with HostGator, for example, they signed up for two years Mm -hmm. with a really amazing contract with them. It was super lucrative, uh, paid for all my podcast costs and beyond. And it was just really nice to have a solid relationship with them where they really believed in podcasts and the audience. So be careful what you wish for and ask for. Um, <laughs> any final parting words just for people who obviously, you know, especially in your audience, and I know there are a lot of digital nomads and travelers who are at home right now or stuck in a place where they maybe didn't intend to be, is how they can kind of keep their motivation levels high and stay focused on what matters to them.
1: I think the most important thing right now is just be forgiving to yourself, whether you're feeling really motivated or you're not. I think either one of those is okay. And if you're not feeling motivated, I say this to myself all the time, just do two things every single day and you should be good. You know, things that you know will keep you going and you won't feel so bad that you didn't do anything because sometimes that's going to make it feel even worse the next day when you feel really bad. So just do two things or even one if two is not something that you can do. So yeah, just do whatever you need to do to feel as good as you can. I don't know how long this is going to take. So just, yeah, we're all in this together. So we're all trying to survive. And I know we see a lot of different things on social media, how people are super you know, productive, and I can tell you for sure that they're probably not like that every single day. So, there's definitely a lot of moments where we're feeling really, really bad. So, don't feel bad if that is how you're feeling. And yeah, so just let's all survive this. <laughs>
0: yeah, I love the kindness and compassion to yourself and to others. It's so key and so needed right now, and actually needed all the time, not just now. And I think that's coming through really loud and clear in the messages that I'm seeing. So, Thank you so much for sharing your insights on here, your journey, your love for my most favorite fact about you is you used to go for jobs and do the interview just to get the experience of the interview. I think that's fantastic and hilarious all at once. So just, yeah, thanks for sharing your energy and enthusiasm and all the ways in which you've managed to pull your passions together and to get paid to be you. Where can
1: people find out about you? Where's the best place to interact?
0: And thank you for being on the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to learn more about my podcast, The Art, beat life and learn how to be a remote worker, you can go to the offbeatlife.com. Same thing on my social media on Instagram. It's the offbeat life. And if you want to learn how to start a podcast, you can go to how to create a And you can also go to how to create a podcast on Instagram as well. Nice. That's a great domain name. Love it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs>
0: So, I really hope you enjoyed my chat with Debbie. I really did. It was super cool to just jam on all sorts of business strategies and tactics and also look at all the ups and downs and the roller coaster ride that we've both had throughout our business career to end up actually doing the things that we truly love. And I think her story is such a unique one in that, you know, she totally lost track of her why. She got dispassionate about what she was doing and she's turned all of that around to come through and figure out exactly what it is that she does want to do and she's turned her hobbies into a profitable business, which is super cool. So I hope you enjoyed that. Please share some love with her on Instagram. And if you are looking to earn more revenue in your business, create a new revenue stream, then you have to have to have to come along to my live webinar that is pretty much happening the day that this podcast goes live. It's all about the four steps you need to take to launch your own online course. It's completely free it's the first webinar i've done in ages i am super excited with what i'm going to share with you just head across to natalie forward slash webinar to sign up and in case you listen to this episode a little later and miss it i'm sure there'll be something absolutely awesome on that page so that you can learn more about it and if you're just wanting to dive right into creating your online course and finally launching it and more importantly pre-selling it before you create all the content then maybe my Launch Your Damn Course Accelerator is perfect for you. That starts on June 1st. All the details are at nataliesison.com forward slash accelerator. And as with anything, this is timeless content. So if you navigate to that link at any point in the future, you may be lucky enough to join me on a live round or be able to go through this awesome online course about launching your damn course. How meta is that? Anyway, have an amazing week ahead. And don't forget to keep tapping into your potential and your unique, beautiful self.